This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luca Levitz Mabler. And I'm Yannick Magnin. And what's up topic for today, Yannick? My evolution as a magic player. Ooh, quite interesting. But before we start, I think you have some follow-up. Yes. So, of course, uh, it wouldn't be an episode of Limitless Possibility without bringing up the Evergreen Episode 2 about mobile payments. Um, as... This is going to become more apparent in the next few episodes that I'm preparing my Japan stuff. So I've been doing some research. And um I mean, this is not necessarily new, but it's new to me. Uh There is a new JR East application called Suica ENG. And it is an English version of a subset of the functionality in the regular Suica app that allows you to set up a virtual anonymous Suica card to pair with your phone and Apple Watch if you go abroad and use one of the models of iPhone that has the Felica chip enabled um, on international models, which is pretty cool. Uh, previously, you had to use the regular Suica app, which is entirely and only in Japanese. Um, so it's really nice that JR East put out a special app for English speakers and tourists to use it, uh, especially before the Olympics. Uh, so if you're on an international app store, you can just go straight to the app store and find both the Suica app, which is more flexible. Uh, I think if you're trying to transfer uh, physical Suica cards onto your phone, you have to use the Japanese app. But if you're Starting from zero, the Suica ENG app is fully functional for what you need it to do, and you can go download that on any international app store. It's quite surprising that they decided to build a different binary when they can just include like, like English strings files in their app. Yeah, uh, it, I mean, that's probably some weird Japanese hang up thing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I guess also having limited functionality that is optimized for, uh, like, tourists could be also maybe a good idea to just have like specific workflows and then not having tourists getting lost inside the app yeah it would be very overwhelming if you had to go to the regular suica app and have be faced with like all of this rich functionality that you have no idea how it works like even just buying like uh bullet train tickets or narita express tickets is sometimes a little bit unintuitive on the terminals that they have there even in english so it's probably for the best that they have limited functionality in the app. Uh, next up, still in the theme of Japanese preparation, uh, follow-up for episode 54, which was my Tokyo travel guide, which, by the way, I will... I am thinking of maybe doing an updated 2020 edition of this in the next year, um, so look forward to that, maybe. Um, eConnect SIM cards, which are my current recommendation for foreigners who are looking to have hassle-free data in Japan, are now available with global shipping from Amazon.com. Previously, these were only shipped to the United States, which means I had a friend at, that had to proxy it to me every time, and sometimes it came dangerously close to uh, the deadline before I had to leave when I received them. Um, so now you can take your fate into your own hands and order them yourself with global shipping. Uh, so I'll put a link in the show notes to the SIM card that I use. And it, so far, it has been the most painless uh, experience I've had with data in Japan, uh, whereas some years it was more complicated. And then follow up for episode 110 about Battle Royale games. Um, so first of all, I, I just thought the story was funny. So I had to uh, bunch it up in here because I was going to talk about Battle Royale games anyway. Uh, it turns out that many Fortnite streamers are tired of playing Fortnite. 
And so <laughs> what? Yeah, I know. And in recent year, uh, in recent weeks, they have gravitated towards playing World of Warcraft Classic, which is the primary reason why World of Warcraft Classic has been the top viewed game on Twitch recently. Um, so there is a whole The Verge article talking about like why Fortnite streamers are tired of playing Fortnite and why they decided to play WoW. Because apparently now you need articles to explain that people are tired of playing a game for like 30 hours a day. Um, there aren't 30 hours in a day. What am I even saying? Um, but yeah, you can go read that article. I just thought it was funny, so I included it in here. What I actually wanted to talk about is something that came to my attention a few weeks ago, but I didn't actually sort of fully register until a couple of days ago, which is Apex Legends now has a ranked mode. Uh, so if you don't necessarily want to be continu continuously steamrolled by strangers on the internet who play Apex Legends all day, you can go do a couple placement matches and wind up matched with other players of your skill level, which is super interesting Ooh. to me. So I have re-downloaded Apex Legends and I haven't had the time to play it yet, but I will definitely be looking into that soon. And I've also been told that last month solos were added. So if you don't want to be on a team with anybody else and you just want to fight for yourself, you can do that now as well in Apex Legends. Um, so yeah, th those were some interesting changes. I haven't really been keeping up with what's been happening in Apex Legends, but so far the changes seem pretty modest and pretty interesting. Uh, if you ignore the whole battle pass drama that I don't really want to get into because that could be a whole other episode in itself. Um, but the core game, if you ignore all the microtransaction stuff, is actually still very good and is only getting better, apparently. So that's why I'm pretty excited about Apex Legends. And uh, maybe update you again if I play it again soon. Yeah, that would be nice. Maybe send me a note then. We can maybe play together because it's been a while since I played two Apex Legends and any other uh, Battle Royale game that I touch on my Battle Royale episode. Fingers crossed that my internet will cooperate. <laughs> <laughs> so now we get to move on to my main topic. Um, now you may remember that on episode 69, we also talked about Magic the Gathering. Nikodiv came over to my old place and we played Magic a little bit and then we gave our impressions on the game. That was two and a half years ago. Um, oh, wow. Time flies. Was that long? Yes. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, at the time, I was about two months into playing Magic. Uh, my original motiva motivations for learning to play Magic were to have a social activity that I could participate in, and also out of curiosity, since I was into smaller TCGs and online CCGs, which we also discussed on another episode, which I don't have the number for in front of me, um, but I had never tried the original trading card game, and I wanted to get into that, so I... Picked a, picked up a couple like starter decks and whatever and taught myself how to play the game. And then I went to the Hour of Devastation Magic League, uh, which was uh, the week after the launch of Hour of Devastation, which was the newest set at the time. It was one night a week at the local game store. Uh, you would build a 30-card deck out of three packs of cards on the week of the set's launch. And every week or after three losses, you could add another pack to your pool of cards that you can build your deck from. Uh, and at the end of the four weeks of League, there were participation prizes if you had played above a minimum number of games. Um, I have learned in recent weeks that this was discontinued about six months ago. Uh, Magic League is no longer a thing because there was too little attendance uh, across local game stores, which definitely sort of seems to be the pattern that I noticed when I was going because I didn't even get participation prizes because with the time I was at the store, there weren't actually enough p 
people to play games with to have reach that minimum number of games, which was kind of crappy. Um, and also two and a half years ago when we recorded that episode, Magic Arena wasn't even announced yet. Uh, Magic Arena technically is still in beta, um, but it is, I think, officially launching at the end of the month, finally, uh, which is interesting. And at the time, you had two digital options to play Magic, which was Magic Online, an authentic, authentic recreation of Paper Magic in a Windows 95 app. Oh, yeah, I recall the Windows 95 app. It was oh, absolutely God. atrocious and actually, like... People who are scared that Magic Online is going to die because of Magic Arena should be scared because Magic Online is terrible and they shouldn't be defending this terrible app. Like, I know there's functionality that's only in Magic Online, but seriously, like, it's terrible. Just play Paper Magic instead. It's much better. And there was Magic Duels, which unfortunately was discontinued a few weeks after I started playing because they already knew they wanted to go towards Arena and Duels wasn't exactly what they had in mind. So since we did that episode, I've sort of changed my journey as a Magic player into becoming a hardcore casual. I found out through that experience at Magic League that in-store play isn't really what I'm looking for. Like I stated earlier, like the main reason I got into Magic was to have a social activity I could participate in, but I think we need to look back at the context of when I started to play Magic. I picked up my first Magic cards the day of the interview that got me my current job after spending about six months unemployed following my last job at the insurance company. So in that span of six months, aside from my Japan trip, I hadn't really talked to anyone outside of like you, another friend, and people in my family. Um, so getting out there and having some level of social activity was sort of meant to combat this feeling of isolation I had at the time. But two things sort of became clear after I got that job and participated in that first Magic League. So the first thing is, it was during the summer. Uh, we have a summer schedule at work, which luckily I no longer have to do. Uh, I sort of opted out of that this year, uh, and I'm very happy I did. But at the time, during the summer schedule, I was spending close to 10 hours a day either at work or getting to and from work, which meant I was very mentally exhausted at the end of the day. And this was on Thursday nights, which meant... I was not playing effectively at all. Sometimes I forgot triggers on my upkeep and stuff, and it was just a mess, and people were getting frustrated with my level of not playing well because I was tired. And the other thing was, being an introvert, there is only a certain level of social interaction I can take before I get completely drained and need to recover, and that quota was sort of being met by work. Uh, so I didn't really need to jam a social activity into my schedule after all. So I didn't really renew after that first Magic League, and that's sort of what happened. Uh, now, you might be saying, well, okay, Magic League might not be for you, but there might be other events maybe on the weekends or stuff like that. Um, and this is where I need to... Uh, explain some glossary before we move on. Um, there are not going to be very many special words you need to learn to understand the rest of this episode, but a very important distinction to know is the difference between limited and constructed. So limited refers to playing magic where each time you play, you buy some number of packs and play with the pool of cards that were obtained from buying those packs. And then there's Constructed, which is you build your deck to a given set of restrictions about what can and can't be in your deck. These are usually called formats. And in general, Constructed is, a, is at a much higher uh, power level than Limited because the power of your deck is only limited by the budget you choose to pump into it. 
Whereas in limited, everyone's cost of entry is about the same and the percentage of powerful cards is low and about the same for pretty much everyone that's involved, plus or minus luck. So yes, there are weekend constructed events in my area, um, but the popular constructed formats in the area do not align with my personal interests. So uh, previously we only had one local game store. This was Gamer's Spot. Um, it's the one that you went to in that episode. And unfortunately, at GamerSpot, not many events fire aside from those in the Commander format. Uh, Commander, also called EDH, is one of the most popular Magic formats because it allows you to play with most cards throughout Magic's history. And there are deck-building restrictions that make you build your deck around a character for a Magic story. Uh, in mechanical terms, this is legendary creature cards. It's a multiplayer format, which means that most games are played with about four people uh, at once. And what that means is that there are politics, and I am not a fan of politics that <laughs> result from multiplayer games, especially when you're playing with strangers. Um, but there is another complication on top of that, which is the format has 19,000 legal cards. Actually, it's 18,920. Wow. I looked at the count before we recorded the episode. And unless new cards have been announced while we are recording this podcast, that is the current active count. Uh, and because the format has so many cards, there tend to be house rules that discourage the use of expensive or unfair cards because the goal of Commander, well, according to some people anyway, is to keep the game social or fun for everyone, but everyone sort of disagrees about what is or isn't fun. So there is like... <laughs> of course. Yeah. Oh my goodness. There is an official ban list, which is like, if you go to a store and you're going to play with other people you're going to be expected to not play these cards because they're just too powerful or they like there are some cards that just make you win immediately and it's not fun if you just like play that card and you win uh so they've gotten rid of most of the big uh big problem cards in the format and there's always like podcasts or whatever arguing about whether or not the banned cards are fair or whatever right so they're trying to not make this mode just a pay to win type of mode even if it's kind of because of, of its free for allness kind of is yeah it, i mean there's always going to be some level of aspect uh, of that aspect in commander just because it has 19,000 legal cards there are some cards that are not expensive and not rare like there are cards that destroy lands but you need lands to cast your spells so if you're playing a land destruction deck people are going to fucking hate you and they're not going to want to play with you and as someone with more money to spend than time if i'm going to be building a deck at all i don't want to find out after i've paid for every single card in my deck that nobody wants to play against me because i'm a tier or two above their deck um and i think that that comes up a lot more in multiplayer formats uh, because, again, they're trying to have fun social experiences. Whereas in 1v1, it's pretty clear that the goal of the game is to beat the other person. And there's a lot less complaining about that. There is a store that opened last year at the Mall d'Imaginaire. Uh, and it's a chain that goes around uh, Quebec. And traditionally, they support older formats that have a lot of legal cards, but 1v1 formats. Uh, and... At our local store anyway, uh, they primarily support the modern format. Uh, what sucks about modern is that they've had a really rough year because R&D kind of messed up and introduced cards that were too powerful to the game in recent sets. And what that meant is there have been a lot of card bans in the last year that completely killed many decks, including a few of the ones I had considered buying into. Uh, I did not buy into them, luckily. 
Um, but when good decks are between $400 and $1,300, the idea of your deck becoming completely unplayable and most of the value attached to those cards going away overnight in a blog post can scare you away from wanting to play that format. And that is sort of the state I am in right now. Like, I, I agree with some of the card bans that happened because there were some really problematic cards going crazy, um, but they might have overstepped things a little bit. And now, uh, you know, like two or three of the decks I had been looking at uh, considering just vanished. And f- for now, I'm not interested in modern just because of the high level of fluctuation in cards that are and aren't banned that we've had in the last year or so. So I've sort of given up on Constructed for now because those are the two ways that are available to me uh, that actually have enough player base in the area. So I've gravitated towards limited formats. This is apparently fairly common as Magic players age. Uh, It turns out that as people have more money to spend than time, building an expensive Constructed deck may be much less appealing if you can only make it out to events once a month or a few times a year because your cost per session is going to be significantly higher than if you just played limited formats instead. Limited is generally played with a single set at a time, so there is much less overhead in learning how 260 cards or so work and interact than there is in learning how the 12,000 cards that are legal and modern work and interact. And if you only play limited once or twice a set because you're busy or whatever, it always feels fresh and new because you're playing with different cards each time. Whereas the more you grind away with your constructed deck, the more likely it is you are to get bored of it and need to either inject new cards into your deck to keep it fresh or switch decks, which means selling about $400 worth of cards to buy another $400 worth of cards. So Limited has low mental overhead to play, it has lower cost per session for less frequent players, and there's higher novelty, which means it is great for time-constrained players, and therefore it is great for adults. So I guess I should get into the ways I play Limited. So the first is Sealed. This is where you buy X amount of packs, usually it's six, and build a 40-card deck from the cards that you've gotten inside those packs. It is the fastest way to get a deck built from a specific magic set. Um, This is the same format that's used for set pre-release events, uh, and it's not far from what I was doing in Magic League, except you were buying less packs up front and building a smaller deck and adding to it over time, whereas sealed is you buy all the packs at once and build your deck once, and then you've got your deck. It tends to be very popular with two kinds of players. There are beginning players who are interested in learning the basics of deck building, and there are lapsed magic players who are wanting to experience a new set that they are interested in in a more casual fashion. Aside from Magic Arena, which we'll talk about at the end of the show, uh, this is the only orthodox and like Wizards of the Coast approved way I play magic these days. Uh, (laughs) And oddly enough, it's also the least frequent way I play the game. Um, huh. Yeah, so recently the core set came out. Uh, it's The core set is a thing that comes out every summer that has just the basic rules on these cards. So they're very simple to understand and they're for teaching people how to play Magic. Uh, so right, that's the set we played two years no. and a half ago. No? No. There weren't core sets at that point in time. So we were playing a, oh. a starter product, but there were no ah, core sets. Okay, I was mixing up with the starter product, that's why. Yeah. Which, if I recall correctly, they more or less have the same goal. 
they had the same goal, but like they brought back the corset for a reason. It's that it wasn't actually doing that goal quite well. Um, oh, okay. Th- this has been like a big point of debate for like the entire time I've been into magic. Uh, the corset came back last summer, uh, after like, I think two or three years without a corset. Um, last year's corset was really boring, but I guess like if you're trying to teach people the basics of magic, maybe it has to be boring because it's just like the easiest cards to understand. Uh, this year's corset is actually very, very good. Um, I, I have been enjoying it a lot. In fact, I've been teaching a friend how to play magic because they were curious about my interest in magic. So I've been playing, uh, M20 sealed with them and it's been great. The other, uh, sort of case in which I will play uh, sealed is friends who've played magic in the past but don't actively play it every set will occasionally play some sealed if there's a new set that catches their eye. Um, so last year there was a set called Dominaria which was to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Magic the Gathering as a game. It takes a bunch of uh, historical things from the world of magic and puts them onto cards and a lot of people came back who played in the 90s and early 2000s to just play that set and they had a great time uh and a lot of people did that by playing sealed but there are other things like this fall set is going to be based on uh fairy tales so there are a lot of people who are just attracted to that aesthetic and want to experience that set they're going to go play sealed because it's the easiest way to do it luckily recent sets uh especially in the last year felt really good in sealed like i said core set 2020 is it's mechanically simple but they've managed to really hit the balance between being powerful and pleasant to play which is great for, especially for a starter product because you want starter products that uh enfranchised players also want to play with their friends instead of just being bored uh which is what i found a lot of the older starter products tended to do so I said that this was sort of the only approved and orthodox way I play the game. So how else do I play the game that's weird? Well, I really like a thing called Pack Horse. Uh, Pack Horse sort of comes from this question, which is how do you experience a, mag- a new magic set for cheaper than regular limited play? Uh, usually when you make a deck in a a sanctioned limited format your deck is probably going to be two colors and in each set there are supported color combinations with a given theme or mechanic so what that means is if you want to experience all the mechanics in a set you're probably going to have to play three to five games of limited and that's if you're lucky and the cards you luck into each time you buy your packs support the color combinations you haven't played yet if you don't you're gonna have to play more pack were sort of does away with this whole idea and says, okay, just add three basic lands of each color to a regular booster pack of magic cards, like a standard booster pack, 14 cards. Shuffle that up as a deck and play a normal game of magic with the cards from that one pack. And Pack Wars gives you a bite-sized taste of all of the colors in the set by taking advantage of something called pack collation. So it's a design goal of Magic Booster Packs that each major theme of the set shows up in every booster pack. And the print runs are manipulated so that there's an even distribution of themes and colors to facilitate booster draft, which is when you draft cards in booster packs. Uh, This also has the nice bonus that if you're playing a pack as a deck, you also have all of the themes and mechanics of the set in your deck. Um, so you're probably going to experience most of the themes and mechanics once in the game you're playing. Now, on a purely, like, value uh, point of view, 
compared to sealed, like sealed uses six packs per player. Um, and you wind up with one deck at the end, which you generally play for, uh, well, if you're playing just like against another person casually, you're probably going to play like best of three. So let's say for three games, you're playing, paying $24 per player for one deck. For pack wars, you're using three packs per player across three games, but each of those packs is a different deck, which means you're play, you're paying $12 per player for three decks. Um, and the way I sort of view it is if you're going to open yourself up to the variance and luck of playing uh, limited and playing with the cards that are given to you inside of a pack, why not go full chaotic and just play pack wars and just have way more fun? Um, pack wars is kind of weird because like I said, like, um, in magic, you play lands and you have to play lands of specific colors to cast specific spells of those colors. And, uh, because there are five colors in magic, that means you have to luck into getting the right lands for the cards that are in your hand and all of that stuff, which means because you're playing all five colors, the pace of the game slows down significantly and you get to play more, uh, more cards out of your deck than you would in a traditional magic game, just because you're trying to get to the colors to cast your things. And this is generally like fair for both players because you're both handicapped in this way. Um, so it's just really interesting. Like it, it's kind of nonsense. Uh, it doesn't really look much like regular magic, but it's really fun and it's an interesting spin on just opening packs to look at cards, which is what I would be doing otherwise. But then you sort of wind up in the same conundrum that a lot of magic players are in, which is you buy a bunch of cards to play these different ways of playing magic. But then you just have piles of cards stacking up all over your apartment. Uh, so how do you get more use out of the cards that you open playing Sealed or Pack Wars? Uh, and that's where I get into my obsession with this super unorthodox way to play Magic uh, that I've sort of... Like, this is the entire excuse for the episode, really. Um, it's called Cubelet. Going back to that question, how do you get more use out of the cards you open playing Pack Wars? You're kind of in a weird spot because... Like, I, I open so few packs of a given set every time there's a new set that comes out that I probably only have, like, one or two copy of most cards that I have. And for most formats, uh, most constructed formats, you'd probably need to have, like, four to actually be able to play it in your deck. And that's assuming the card is even playable and constructed at all. A lot of cards in packs are just bad because they're good and limited, but they're bad in constructed formats. Um so you have a lot of these like junk cards that aren't worth anything, but also aren't good and constructed. So you sort of have just a bunch of cardboard. Uh, some people build these things called cubes. Uh, cubes are a collection of between 360 and 900 cards that you and your friends can build virtual packs from and draft from it like you were playing booster draft at a game store with actual packs of cards. And that is incredibly popular, but the downside to that is it requires drafting and then building a deck from the cards you drafted, which is time you're spending moving cards around instead of time you're playing the game. Uh, it also sort of benefits people who are better at card evaluation and deck building more than people who are just good at playing the game. Um, so Cubelet is sort of a response to that. Uh, it's a twist on cubes that was popularized by the Victoria BC comedy troupe Loading Ready Run, which does a lot of magic-related humor. 
And the basic idea of Cubelet is it is a 100-card pile of cards that is played as a shared deck for two or more players. The general guideline is 14 cards of every individual color, three of every color pair, no colorless cards or lands. We will get into this in a second because it may seem insane if you're a Magic player to have a shared deck with no lands. Uh, of course, like all of these guidelines only matter if you want balanced colors, but feel free to break the rules because Cubelet is all about breaking the rules, and that's why it's great. So instead of having land in the deck, you can play any card in your hand face down as a land that gives you one of any color mana. Uh, this works around one of the biggest complaints about Magic as a game, which is the variance that is introduced by needing lands to cast your spells. For anyone who hasn't played Magic before... Each turn in Magic, you you may put a colored land card from your hand onto the battlefield. And each non-land card in your deck has a cost, which you pay by turning a land of the specified color sideways to indicate that it's been used. And as you play the game, to play effectively, you need to draw enough land to be able to cast your spells, but you also need to draw enough spells to actually be able to do something in the game. And... Like, this is a complaint that a lot of my friends who play other uh, board games have about Magic, is I spent $300 on the standard deck, and every game I played tonight, all I drew was land. Like, you never actually got to cast any of the spells in your deck, and that feels really bad. Um, so Cubelet is attractive because it bends with the rules of Magic's mana system. At its core, Cubelet is about playing the games that you wouldn't get to play with otherwise. And if you want to do that, you want to make sure that you're able to cast those cards. And it turns out that the variance of lands that is normal to a regular game of Magic, you can substitute that with variance in the variety of the cards you're drawing from this pile of 100 random cards. And maybe in that scenario, it's just okay that your mana is always perfect. It turns out that when your hand is just seven really good cards and you're forced to play some of them as lands in order to play the rest of those really good cards, the game actually becomes way more interesting. And it becomes about choosing what cards you're going to play as lands on what turns and the sequencing of how you're going to play the cards in your hand to make the most optimal uh, plays. To me, Cubelet is actually maybe more attractive than traditional magic. Um... It's just a really interesting twist on the rules, and I think even people who dislike regular magic may actually be able to get into uh, playing Cubelet as long as they understand the rules of magic, which is kind of like this weird catch that they at least need to have the base knowledge of how to play magic to actually be able to appreciate it. Um, it's actually rather cheap to put a Cubelet together. I put together my first draft Cubelet from my existing collection, uh, which was pretty much built uh, over the last two and a half years by buying about six packs of each set, which in the grand scheme of things is not a lot. Uh, your cards do not have to be good or constructed playable for this to be a worthwhile experiment and a ton of fun. If you have like a reasonably sized magic collection or a small magic collection like myself, I would highly encourage you to just try it. You don't even have to really stick to the color balancing that I said earlier if you don't have enough cards of a given color or whatever. Just try making a pile of 100 cards and playing with those rules and see how it turns out. It can be really fun. What's cool about it is because you're not playing like the all-stars of Magic and playing $1,000 cards in your cubelet, you can just put in your uh, cards you have good memories of. If you have funny experiences with a given card, you can put it in your cubelet and 
you can relive some of those moments and maybe it can be even super funny if you happen to play your cubelet with the people who were involved in making those memories in the first place. And if you're like me and you primarily play limited formats, the other ways in which you play magic will naturally give you more cards to eventually put into your cubelet, uh, which is a really nice thing. And I sort of got the idea to start doing the cubelet because of occasionally when I was playing Pack Wars, there were some really powerful cards that were like in the two or three last cards of my deck that I never actually got to play with. And I was like, well, how can I find an excuse to play with these cards? And this felt like the natural place to do that. And it, it has been great for that. What's also interesting is at the end of the game, you can turn all of the cards you played as lands face up to reveal what they were. And this can be an interesting sign of what cards need to be replaced, because if a card is always being played as a land, it's probably weaker than the rest, and you should probably replace it next. It's also super convenient to have a cubelet. Um, you can put it in your bag uh, whenever you go and visit friends who know how to play Magic, and even if they don't even have their collections anymore, you can just take it out of your bag and get to play games. For years... People have been asking for a kind of magic board game that uh, Wizards of the Coast could make uh, that you could buy and just play casual games of magic with your friends. There have been numerous attempts at that over the last three years. They've all been pretty bad. But with Cubelet, there's no reason you can't make one yourself and customize it so that it is great for your taste in cards or whatever your friends have played together in the past. Like, it's great. And due to Commander's popularity, which we talked about earlier, where everyone has 100-card decks, 100-card deck boxes are fairly common. So you can get one, put your cards in there, carry a pouch of dice with you, and you've got everything you need to play Magic with your friends whenever, wherever. It's great. So I will put a link in the show notes to my Cubeless list. Uh, it is on a website called Cube Tutor, which is a website meant for people who have the big draft cubes. Um, but it is also just a generally a better tool to maintain large lists of magic cards that are longer than 40 to 60 cards. Uh, I keep mine in there and there is a sideboard section that you can keep a list of cards that would be nice replacements to the cards that are already there now. So I've been doing that. And as new cards have been announced throughout the week for the fall set, I've been adding those to my list as well. Uh, unfortunately, Cube Tutor has been really unstable as a site recently, um, but the very popular magic search engine Scryfall has launched a decklist feature this week that I'm looking to migrating to. If you're interested in building your own cubelet, some rough guidelines to follow uh, would be to have 60% creatures and 40% instant and sorcery cards. Uh, it's probably a bad idea to have any artifacts or enchantments in your a stack of cards because then you probably also want to dedicate card slots to cards that can destroy artifacts or enchantments and then you've got no card slots left for anything cool in the instances or sorceries so that's kind of lame so just shy away from artifacts or enchantments uh, and try to keep the average cost of your cards between 2.8 and 3.3 converted mana cost uh, and don't forget to pay attention to mana curve like any other deck. You still want to be able to cast those cards that are in your stack of cards. And if all your cards are 12 mana cards, you're never going to have enough land down to actually cast those cards. So try to pay attention to mana cost. 
I will put links in the show notes to other Cubelet resources. Um, it's not a very popular way to play Magic, so there are very few of them. I'll put some links to some podcast episodes. Uh, Loading Ready Run had two episodes of Tap Tap Concede about this uh, many years ago. And there's also a pretty cool website called mtgcubelet.com that has uh, sample lists of other Cubelets. So you can go look at them and get inspired to make your own. And if you do choose to make your own, please, 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 please share your list with me because I love this stuff and I would love to see your list. It would be really great. So those are the ways I play paper magic. I want to close the show by talking about how I play digital magic. And unfortunately, I don't play very much digital magic because Magic Arena is not available on Macs yet. And they have announced that a Mac version of Arena is coming. So that is good. Uh, And it took a really long time for them to announce a Mac version, which is annoying, but I guess they realized that like all of the popular magic YouTubers use Macs and they are tired of running <laughs> VMs to run uh magic arena. So uh yeah, that's coming soon, but no release window was given. So that's kind of, eh. um, it actually kind of baffles me that they're prioritizing a Mac version over iOS and Android because that is where all the money is going to be, but whatever. Um, so if you download Magic Arena, you can play a bunch of different formats. Uh, you can play sealed and draft for all of the current uh, standard legal sets. You can play standard. And then this fall, they are adding two new formats. Historic, which will let you play with any of the cards that have ever been in Arena. Uh, so no two-year rotation period um, like you would see in standard. And then Brawl, which is like a miniature version of Commander that is played with standard legal sets. Um, that probably only means something to people who play magic, but that's fine. The game is free to play. Uh, there is a free to play casual play queue for standard and I've played quite a bit of it and it is really fun. Um, it is not super competitive. A lot of the super competitive people actually hang out in the, uh, ranked section, which means you can just play in the casual queue, even with the pre-constructed decks you get for free and, you might even win. I think I have like a 60% win rate and I'm just playing with the pre-constructed decks because I don't have enough cards to actually do anything. Um, the way the game is free to play is there are daily missions that give you gold. And with that gold, you can either buy packs or event participation. And there's also like, uh, I don't remember, I think it's called the Mastery Pass, which is basically like a Fortnite battle pass, except for uh, Magic Arena, where uh, every time you level up, there are some rewards. Sometimes it's cosmetic upgrades to your cards. Sometimes it's uh, packs of cards. Sometimes it's just extra gold or extra gems. Um, and you can pay to unlock a paid tier of the Mastery Pass, which gives you extra rewards. That sort of had a mixed reaction, just like it does in every other game. Um, but the important thing is that even if you're not necessarily on board with the idea of that, Magic Arena is entirely viable as a free-to-play only game, and you can play as much limited as you can handle uh, with going free-to-play, or you can play constructed, but in both cases, if you want to basically play as much as you want, you're going to need to do careful planning. There are like complicated spreadsheets on the internet you can download that tell you how to optimize your missions and playtime to actually get an unlimited supply of currencies to play limited and constructed uh if you're just playing casually you're probably going to run into more uh roadblocks where you need to spend money but i mean it is viable i guess as a free-to-play game 
Um, the client is incredibly good. And uh, anyone who has tried to learn magic probably knows how extremely complicated the game is because of weird edge cases that were only ever printed on like a single card in 1982. Uh, magic didn't exist in 1982, but you know what I mean. And it's really, really nice to have a client like Magic Arena that really simplifies everything and makes it feel like a non-complicated card game, which is probably what a lot of people wish Magic was. Yeah, and I think that was one of the rare comment. Like, I kind of liked playing it, but not to just continue. But like, it was one of the comments, like to just like the cost on onboarding somebody, and you felt like super hard because I remember some of the games we played, and it was like, I was like am I doing the right thing here? And you like read the card. I was like, oh yeah, you were doing the right thing. You should read this small line just there at the bottom of the card and that will have told you everything. Like, yeah. Oh, like yeah. there are uh, cards called instants, which like the, the name says, like you can play them anytime because they're instant. Uh, whereas sorceries can only be played on your turn during your main step. But it's not actually true you can play an instant at any time. It's just that there are invisible phases after and before everything that happens in the game that you are casting it in that phase. And if you don't know the rules, you don't know about this because you just think you're casting it at any time. But actually, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of that complexity that is just streamlined away and you don't really have to think about it when you're playing Magic Arena. And the other thing is when you're playing a digital client, there is rules validation built into the thing, so you can't do anything illegal. Whereas when you're playing paper magic, you can do illegal stuff all the time, and unless there's a judge nearby or somebody calls you out on your mistake, you're never going to find out until someone does. And that is the other weird thing about magic uh, in paper, is for such a complicated game rules-wise, like you sort of have to get slapped on the wrist to actually figure out that you're doing it wrong. And like if you and your friend are teaching each other how to play because you're both first time players, like you're, you might just be propagating your own misconceptions about how the rules work. And then you show up at a tournament and you're just doing illegal stuff all the time. Uh, so <laughs> mm, that sounds fun. Yeah. Um, but arena serves as a really nice tutorial for first time magic players. They recently redid it with the course set, uh, and added a whole new tutorial thing, which has been really, really good. Um, and there's a, there's a system you can use, I don't remember the name of it, where you can gradually unlock more and more cards from the core set as uh, you play more games. So it's, it's a really interesting way to get players to on board with the game and to learn how to play the game. And it's really great because ever since Magic Duels was discontinued two years ago, there hasn't really been a nice digital tutorial for Magic. And this is a really good one, provided you're on a PC. Uh, Magic Duels was on basically everything. It was on all the game consoles. It was on iOS. It was on Android. That was much more approachable by everyone. Um, but for the moment, it's a PC-only version of the tutorial we had in Magic Duels. So that is more or less everything I had to say about um, my evolution as a Magic player. I'm curious if you have any thoughts about it. Not really, though I am curious that maybe next time we see each other that you should maybe try uh, playing the, this uh, uh, unapproved, uh, like unofficial uh, mode that I forgot its name again. Cubelet. Uh Cubelet with me. Because it seems that the way you're talking about it, it could also be kind of... a strange way to know the cards even if the rule are not the same yeah i think the thing that's kind of 
unfortunate about Cubelet for people who are newer players is like I I want all the cards in my Cubelet or as much of them as possible anyway to be powerful because it's actually super interesting to be playing like games of magic where every card feels impactful and powerful. The problem is that means every card has a lot of text on it, <laughs> which means it's not necessarily the greatest thing for new players to get onto because they have to read like rules text. And of course, like it becomes a reading a book and not playing a game. Yeah, yeah. And in a regular set, like, like I said earlier, there might be three to five mechanics in the entire set. Well, I'm not restricted by the boundaries of a single set. I have like every set since I've started playing in my cubelet, which means there are mechanics, like almost every mechanic from every set since I started playing is represented in my cubelet, which means if you don't know them, you're going to have to read some more text. You don't just have the familiarity mm. of having played it. So yeah, it, it's not necessarily the greatest thing for like, uh, newer players or people who are not entirely familiar with the rules, but people who at some point were enfranchised players, like they're going to be on board with this because they still remember how the rules work, even though they might not know the particular mechanics. So yeah, it, it's, it's not ideal for new players, but I think it's super interesting and it's a really neat way to have a sort of a box you can carry with you and just, be able to play magic anytime which is what i love it for and it's great and i should really buy a deck box because right now it's in a shitty cardboard box and it's not really great <laughs> so is that it yes it is good so if you find yannick i know yannick mentioned a lot of links especially about cubelet so if you want to go find them you can find them in our show notes at limitless possibility slash 121 so one two one dot net if you can Ah, uh, did I forget that for real? Yes. Oh my goodness. So limitlesspossibility.net slash one to one. Of course, if you want to go through, if you want to go through our back catalog of episodes, you can find it at limitlesspossibility.net. You can find also the podcast on Twitter to get its latest news at limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. You can find myself on Twitter at, at lucanush. That's L-U-C-C-O. L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. Oh my goodness, I am having difficulties with pronunciation tonight. And you can find Yannick at... Sakarina, that's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. Uh, we forgot to mention that uh, it's coming up, so we will be taking a hiatus following the release of episode 123 on October 13th, and we will be returning with episode 124 on November 24th. Uh, I don't think we've mentioned it in the past two episodes, so I just want to bring it back up to people's... Uh, so people are aware of it because it's coming up. I'm going to Japan. I'm excited. Yeah, and I'm going to Florida in early November. So, ooh, lots of trips for Yannick and I. Yep. So, see you in two weeks. Yeah, and on that note, see you in two weeks. <laughs>